Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries. Jake, welcome back for episode 14. I'm hosting alongside Jake Deemer, of course. How have you been this past week, Jake? Uh, it's good. Coming off the, the, big, the big win. The big win over, over Courtney. And I came off of a, of a big win myself against JC. Like I said, it was... Uh, a matchup of, you know, opposites in terms of each seed across the two divisions. You lined up across your opposite. So Jake pulled away the win for the East Division. I pulled away the win for the West Division. Can't remember off the top of my head because I'm not looking at it right now how the rest played out. I know Nick got a win over Brendan representing the East Division. Uh, yeah, Eddie got, Eddie got one over Scott. Yeah, Mike got one over Jordan, and I think Jerwin got one over Sam. So maybe three and three. I can't yeah. remember who's in what division, but yeah, I think you're right. So a good showing, and it and it played out as expected. I don't want to spoil too much because we're about to we're about to talk about the prior week recap, but it played out as we expected. Jake, we both went six and zero, like I thought we would. Yeah, we're just that good. We're just that good. So let's get into the prior week recap. Looking back to week 12, biggest upset. Jake, I'm going to lead us off this week because I took a different spin on this one. I, I went with Eddie, team gone forever, versus the league median. The head-to-head matchups, they ended up playing out, like we just said, as we expected them to. So I went a different route with my pick for biggest upset this week. While you and I, Jake, both picked Eddie to win this matchup over over Scott, I, I should say his head-to-head matchup, I think the assumption was that Courtney would end up stealing a league median win from one of our head-to-head winners. Well, she did do that, but it was actually a stolen win from Big Money Mike rather than Eddie's Gone Forever squad. So, you know, I'm picking Team Gone Forever over the league median as the upset, but really... It's kind of like picking Eddie over Mike because he was sixth in scoring. Mike was seventh in scoring. So ironically, you could say this was the third loss that Eddie has handed Mike this season. As like I said, he topped Mike for that sixth and final league median win. This isn't my biggest takeaway, but I did want to note that Eddie's team is on a serious climb to playoff contention over this past month. Uh, last three weeks specifically, he has gone six and zero. So Eddie's team gone forever is very hot. Jake, what was your biggest upset if you had one? Yeah, uh Eddie's team's kind of rising from the dead here. I think we sort of we all kind of didn't think that or we all thought he was just out of playoff contention for sure a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I was almost writing him off as a seller. Uh I guess I shouldn't have, and I know that Eddie's mindset isn't one to easily give up. So, yeah, definitely a premature uh, prescription by me to call him a seller a few weeks back. Yeah. So my biggest upset is I kind of took something similar to what you did because we all kind of picked these matchups. So I don't know that we could call one of them an upset. I have JC and Mike finishing on the opposite side of the, of the median. Uh, I didn't see either of these teams coming on. I think that one of the, I thought that one of them would, or so I thought JC would steal a win and be on that side. So I actually thought there'd be kind of two stolen wins, but yeah, I didn't think that both would definitely finish on the wrong side of the, of the league median. And uh, correct me. I think Mike has kind of been, he's kind of been bouncing back and forth these last couple of weeks, like one week, one week he'll finish over one week he'll finish under. I think that just goes back to show his, uh, 
his team's kind of boom or bust nature. And JC, is this his second? No, it's not his second bad week in a row. Yeah, he had a good last week, right? I believe last week was a good week for him, but two weeks ago was not so hot. So coming off of now a stretch where over two of the last three weeks, he's kind of put up a dud. Okay. Well, what I wanted to say about JC was uh, his bullpen, what that we kind of harped on three out of his four starters finished in the negative. So uh, maybe that is going to hurt him a little more than we, than we kind of let on where, that was kind of once a really reliable part of his team might be a little shaky now. Yeah, definitely. That's something that we kind of talked about in detail over the last, I think it was last episode we were talking about that. So good thoughts there. Uh, Biggest takeaway I have, and I'm actually, this is, it was kind of spoiled by the big trade between Brendan and Mike today, but I am I decided not to change my biggest takeaway just so that you could hear my thoughts as I was preparing for this episode. I thought it would be interesting. My biggest takeaway coming out of this past week was that Brendan needs to make a decision on whether to become a buyer or a seller right now. And like I said, this was prep done before his trade, but still wanted to share it. Uh, Brendan going 0 and 6 over the past three weeks and 2 and 8 over the past five weeks has fallen mightily from the second place spot in the West Division after seven weeks. So, after week seven, he was in second place. Now he's sitting in the first wild card spot. And while that doesn't feel like huge movement, I think Brendan should be very concerned about the two teams directly beneath him in the standings, which are Eddie and Jerwin, whose teams have been very hot over the same stretch. Eddie is, like I just mentioned, 6-0 and over the past three weeks, while Jerwin is 4-2. and uh, If Brendan were to, to decide to sell, which I think his trade today, um, even though he did get some keepable players, I don't think it indicates that he's a seller by any means. But if he were to decide to sell, he by no means has to rush to do so. But if he plans on buying, he definitely needs to make a move or more moves right now to stop the pitfall that his team is on and prevent the danger of dropping out of a wild card spot. And, you know, he made the tough decision today to let go of Juan Soto, which we're probably going to talk about here shortly in our trade segment. But what I wrote was the decision will be tough for Brendan as his best two players uh, in terms of performance on the season so far, Aaron Savale and Byron Buxton, they're both hurt and they're going to be out for a while. It also complicates matters that alongside Freddie Peralta, these two guys are his biggest keepers. So he can't really keep one foot in and one foot out. If he wants to get back in the fight, my guess is that he's going to have to move at least one of these big-time keepers. Um, If he decides not to move any of them, I would bet that he likely can't gain enough back to get back into the fight. He's in a tough spot for sure. Uh, I did really like the move that he made today. I did not see it coming where he would give up Juan Soto, you know, the first overall pick in our draft, but he did already make one tough decision to kind of make his team more whole. Uh, I don't think it's enough for him to compete with the top teams in our league, but it is certainly a good start. And that's what I told him today after I saw that trade go through. Jake, that was a mouthful. What is your biggest takeaway coming out of week 12? All right, so my biggest takeaway is that Rob Manfred is totally clueless and MLB could not have handled this substance situation any worse than they are. Uh, just the, just a couple of days ago when Mets prospect Tyler McGill, when he made his major league debut as he's coming off the mound, I believe he pitched five scoreless innings. 
He gets a standing ovation and the umps interrupted to check him for a foreign substance as he's coming out of the game. And then you also had the Scherzer incident where Joe Girardi stops the game, asks, asks uh, the umps to check Scherzer because he's rubbing his hand through his hair too much. And Girardi has said that he's watched every Scherzer start and he doesn't rub his, he doesn't rub his hair that much. That's the first time he's seen it. And that was suspicious. It didn't have anything to do with interrupting his rhythm or anything because he was throwing a really good game. But this is just, this is just the worst. It holds up the game. Everyone hates it. And the worst part about it is Manfred claims that it's going very well and that it's, everything's fine. It's, it's just the worst. I, I hate watching it. I hate hearing about it. Just, I, have, I have a real problem with how they, they decided to roll this out. Yeah, not handled very well. I will say the one funny, well, not, you mentioned Scherzer's incident. If you, I don't know if you uh, have seen the John Boy breakdown of that. Allie loves that video. It's a very funny video. The other funny one is Sergio Romo. Did you see him literally completely pull down his pants when the umps? Yeah, were I, I did see that one. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that's funny too. I think the two, uh, the two instances that are bad for the, I don't want to say bad for the game necessarily as, as it being marketed, marketed to the audience, but bad for actually the actual players are one, when a guy gets absolutely shelled in a, in an outing, the last thing that he wants to do or that that pitcher should be suspected of is using foreign substances. Like if a guy is going in for an inning of relief, he ends up giving up four runs. Like it has to be the worst to still be checked for a foreign substance. Like he, it's almost like, you know, the umpires are being suspicious that you were that bad, even with help, even with the help of foreign substances. So I think that's a bad look. Um, I would hate that if I was a player and I just had a bad outing. Second thing is, you just mentioned it with Max Scherzer, managers should not be able to interrupt the middle of a game, uh, the middle of an inning, especially when like a guy like Scherzer is, is striking guys out, rolling through the game. It should be treated as a challenge, at the very least, to be able to send the umpires out to check him. Like If there's no substance on him, uh, there has to be some repercussion. You can't just interrupt the flow of the game. You can't ice the kicker, so to speak. That's just bad for the actual players. So I agree. Rob Manfred has not handled this well. Hopefully we will see some midseason improvement since this was a midseason rule change. Uh, I'm with you there, Jake. Wildcard race updates. So we have a new face in the first wildcard spot. It is Brendan, the Soto Shuffle, with a record of 11-13. and 13. So Mike passed him for third place in the West division. And he is now sitting in the first wildcard spot right behind him. I know he has a two game lead on these guys, but these guys, like I mentioned, are very hot right now. Jerwin has the second wildcard spot team positivity with a record of nine and 15 and nipping at his heels is Eddie with the same record gone forever. He is nine and 15 after a perfect past three weeks. And then you got Sam hanging in there uh, right behind them weak pullout hitter in 10th place. So that is our wild card update. Jake, we had a last minute uh, trade. Originally I was planning for no trades to talk about this week, but we had a pretty big one go through as I alluded earlier today. It was between Brendan and Mike. 
in which Brendan gave up to try to kind of start the revival of his team. He gave up his best player, the first overall pick in our draft, Juan Soto. Uh, also a semi-breakout pitcher for the Cubs, Adbert Alzali, and one of his best relievers, Matt Barnes, who is the closer for the Red Sox. And in return, he got Zach Gallen, Austin Meadows, Jake Diekman, and Chris Bassett. So a lot of players to liken this deal what were your initial thoughts when you saw this go through today? So actually, originally, I kind of had this hunch that like Brendan has to do something because he's his team is on life support. They're sinking fast. So I actually did reach out about Juan Soto a little bit ago. Obviously, I didn't get him, but I just kind of had this feeling he's going to he's going to he was going to move him. And I, I do really like the deal that he made. I think that he needed to do something to shake up his team. He needed to kind of make a Hail Mary play he was really running the risk of just completely falling out of contention. If he would have waited too much longer, he's got to try something. If it's not, this isn't working so far, you got to, got to change it up a little bit. I, I do kind of like what he'd got back though. I think it is kind of funny that he got back, that he ended up getting Austin Meadows and Jake Diekman back. Those are the, those are two of the guys he originally traded to me in like one of the first deals of the season. So it's kind of all come full circle. I still like Zach Gallen a lot, even though he's uh, he's kind of shaken off the rust coming back. But it is important to remember with him, he did not get a rehab assignment. So he's kind of working his way back on the fly. And then Chris Bassett, who we kind of talked about last week, is one of the breakout candidates. Who I, I do like him, even though he wasn't my pick. So I do like the return a lot that that uh, that Brendan got. And as, my, as Mike, you can't really be mad because you got probably – I would be surprised if there is a better player move the rest of the season than Juan Soto. So I, I think as Mike, you can't really be mad with that return either. Yeah. I, I don't really have much to add. I know Mike uh, was and still is pretty deep at starting pitcher. Uh, even after giving up gallon and Bassett, you know, Alzali is like a sneaky guy to get back. He's not going to be an ACE, but he is certainly can be a reliable back-end guy for Mike to start based on matchups. Juan Soto was drafted to be the best player in baseball uh, for fantasy this year. I would not be surprised if he lives up to that claim in the second half of the season, and I think he is a floor as a top 20 hitter at the worst, and I think we've seen that floor so far, and he hasn't certainly has not been bad. So like you said, you can't be, you know, you can't be disappointed if you're Mike, but great return for Brendan, great decision-making for him to give up, you know, his best redraft player and recognizing the need to kind of rebuild, you know, not just one or two positions, but rebuild the whole team to kind of get back in the fight. I think this return does that really well for him. So kudos to both guys for getting this deal done. Jake, let's get to uh, probably... I think I'm going to consider this one of my favorite segments that we'll do all season. We're doing a mid-season redraft. We're going to do a redraft for, you know, all the teams in our league through the first two rounds. We're going to actually keep all of the keepers the same. So we do have, you know, a list of all five to six players that each team kept. We're even going to incorporate the players that were kept in the first two rounds into this draft, which were four total. So we are going to make 20 total picks and we'll actually list off the teams that are making, that we're making these picks for. 
Uh, and then at the end, if anybody was shoved down our boards and wasn't picked due to the other one, you know, not taking them, we can briefly discuss some of the guys that barely missed the cut for this redraft. But yeah, Jake, I'm going to hand it off to you. You are on the clock as the Soto Shuffle with 1.01, the first overall pick. So in this midseason redraft, uh, with the keepers off the board, who are you taking first overall? So before I start, I just want, did want to clarify, we're drafting as if the season ended, but we're going to draft for the second half. So we're not really taking into account anything that's happened so far as it would pertain to, I guess, our point totals for this fantasy season. So we're kind of, we're just drafting these guys uh, as if we're drafting for the second half of this season. But so for the first overall pick, this is not the guy that I was going to have at the top of my rankings but it does make sense to take him here for Brennan's team. I'm bringing him home. Max Scherzer is my first overall pick. Wow, that that's bold. Uh, since he's on my list, I won't try to keep it brief after every one of your picks, and you're welcome to do the same for mine. I had Max Scherzer as my 1.07, so moving up maybe two, I think that would be two spots from where he was originally drafted this year. I like the pick especially for Brendan's team. So then that would be now my 1.02 making the pick for Scott's team. Uh, he was the guy that I had at the top of my list. And I, I know that this is crazy, but you cannot ignore, I feel like midseason performance. And based on the way that this guy is performing, Kevin Gosman absolutely deserves to be the first pitcher off of the board in terms of the guys that were available and not kept in my opinion. So for Scott at 1.2, I am taking Kevin Gosman. Jake, to you for really, JC's pick. I can't really argue too much with that one. I think I had him sixth overall. So I had it. He was he was pretty close. I just he doesn't have quite the track record that some of these other guys do. So that's why I sure. Yeah, we kind of flip-flopped on Scherzer and Gosman there. And I think that the, the I just want to take a brief pause because we certainly don't have to rush through this. Jake and I were talking before we hopped on to start recording. I think what you're going to find is a nice mix of new faces, some familiar guys that seem to be drafted in the first, second, or third round every year, and then you know guys that are drafted in the mid-rounds whose performance has really justified a big jump this year. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, Jake, with 1.3 JC's team. All right, I know JC... Uh, he did not want to take Trout because he was center field eligible. So I'm taking another outfielder who is left field and right field eligible, who we already talked about today. And that is Juan Soto, who I think is going to have a monster second half. And even though it is not, he has not lived up to the billing so far, I still think he is one of the five best hitters in baseball. So JC, I'm picking Juan Soto. Juan Soto was fourth overall on my board. Uh, yeah, he. it doesn't matter how he has performed so far to me. He is still a top five player in baseball uh, and is a top five pick, uh, you know, at his floor, in my opinion, just because of, you know, how high that floor is. My The second player on my board, which I'm taking for Courtney here, you know, she has Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies already anchoring down her offense. And she has Yu Darvish, Zach Wheeler, and Joe Musgrove in her pitching staff, but I'm actually going to, you know, double down on that strength and say Carlos Rodon. I know I'm getting really bold here. Carlos Rodon would be 
my 1.4. And again, this is because, you know, I feel like the there's a lot of first or second round players who have been performing as we expected them to. But the thing that wins championships, in my opinion, are players that separate themselves to be performers on an entire different level, you know, during the season. And that's kind of what you're seeing with these first two picks that I have made. Gosman and Rodon have both just been on an absolute other level, um, along with guys like Jacob deGrom. Uh, but of course, he was kept too. So Carlos Rodon is my pick at 1.4 for Courtney. She would then be, uh, she would have you Darvish, Zach Wheeler, who has himself been a top three starting pitcher, I believe, Joe Musgrove, and Carlos Rodon, who is a Sparp. I think I didn't even mention that, but. Sparp, who is a top three overall starting pitcher, is a huge advantage. That's my pick. Yeah, I had Rodon at number nine for me, but he got pushed way up my board because of that relief pitcher eligibility. That is a huge deal. I, I do really like that pick for Courtney, too, because that gives her a nice she, – she kept Hater, so that gives her Rodon and Hater in her in her relief pitcher spots, and Hater has pretty much been putting up starting pitcher numbers himself. So that is a huge advantage for him. Uh, the next pick is a keeper pick. That's Lucas Giolito for Jerowin. If I had to do this over, I would not have ta- I would not take Giolito here, but that would be breaking the rules. So I'm stuck with picking Giolito. I agree. If if we were doing a redo, Lucas Giolito would not be a first round pick for me. But I don't think that he would have fallen out of the second round if you know he was free for me to rank in my top 24. But then that takes me to 1.6. So I'm drafting for Jordan's team, the other big time outfielder. I shouldn't say the other because I don't want to disrespect. There's there's definitely a circle of outfielders who are big time players. But the guy that the other guy that's healthy, Mookie Betts, who picked up center field eligibility, that is a huge deal for our league. So he is center field and right field eligible. He is fully healthy. I know he is underperformed, similar to Juan Soto this year but he's still a top five player for me. Um, so I like, you know, Jordan kept Nick Madrigal, Glaber Torres, Alex Kirilov for his offense. Those seemed like exciting keepers, um, you know, certainly high upside. They have not performed really at all this year. So, you know, pairing Mookie Betts up with Tyler Glass now and Lance McCullers, I know it's it's really tough to to say Tyler Glass now is one of Jordan's keepers coming in, but assuming he would be healthy, that is a pretty good you know start for keeping pitchers. But the guys on offense, it, it hasn't been due to injury; it's been due to just awful performances. I guess in Madrigal's case, he did get hurt, but you need an offensive anchor. Mookie Betts is the guy that I would send to Jordan's team here at one point six. I agree with that. Mookie Betts was my third overall pick. Uh, I do see a rebound for him. I think he's very steady. I like the pick for Jordan a lot for just kind of for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, some of his keepers have been underperforming, and this kind of gives him an anchor on offense. He was, he was also my third overall pick for what it's worth. I think what you're seeing or what you're going to continue to see is Jake and I will mention that we had these guys ranked higher than where we're actually picking them. But, of course, since Jake and I have differences in our rankings, you know, a guy like Mookie Betts, who we both had third overall, got pushed down here to six. But Jake, who do you have 1.7 for Sam's team? All right. So for Sam's team, he's, this is not the top player on my board. I actually, the next top player I have is Trey Turner, but Sam already has a shortstop in Tim Anderson. The next player after that would be Jose Ramirez. But Sam also has already has Rafael Devers 
and Manny Machado. So I'm going to stick with the same position that he picked originally, and I'm going to take the next pitcher on my board, and that is Clayton Kershaw, who I think has been rock steady this year for the most part. And still, while he's not what he was, he is still worthy of being an anchor for any pitching staff. I like the pick. Kershaw is definitely reliable. He was my 2.2, so I had him, I guess, as my 14th overall player ranked if you're counting Lucas Giolito in there. Uh, so not too far behind. My pick at 1.8 for Big Money Mike, let's see, he kept Cabrian Hayes, Fernando Tatis, Alex Verdugo, who picked up triple eligibility in the outfield. And then, of course, on the pitching side, he had Max Fried and Brandon Woodruff. So he really had a solid core of keepers. The guy that I am taking for Mike, uh, it's a position that is proven, another position that's proven itself to be scarce in our league, first base, and another midseason big-time climber for me, Matt Olson, is the guy that I would pick for big money Mike here. Uh, He has been, besides Vlad Jr., who was kept, definitely one of the best first basemen. And I know Yuli Gurriel has been hanging up there with him, but I'm not ready to to bump up a 37 year old player matt olson though is in the middle of his prime he's always had big time power big time counting stat ceiling it's always been about the plate discipline for him and his plate discipline this year has looked awesome so matt olson is my pick for big money mike at 1.8 i had matt olson at number 10 but i did have freddie freeman at number eight so what makes you choose olson over freeman for the rest of the season For me, it's, you know, Freddie Freeman, you know what you're buying every time or every year that you draft him. He has good plate discipline. He's not going to blow you away with the power. He obviously doesn't steal, which Olsen doesn't really either, but it's just the ceiling for me. And I think Matt Olsen, maybe this is going a little bit too far with it, but I think you would find a healthy amount of people in the fantasy baseball community I would say for the last few years, Matt Olson has had a higher ceiling for Freddie Freeman. But the difference between those two players is that Freddie Freeman's floor was way, way, way higher. And he's provided a solid floor this year too. But if you're, again, I keep going back to the plate discipline. If you're looking at the plate discipline for Matt Olson, if he's able to you know, keep up to the level that he's at, even to maybe like an 80th percentile, that's still a comparable floor to what Freddie Freeman is providing right now. Uh, but his bat is hot. So, you know, I have Freddie Freeman in my second round, so I don't have him too far behind. He is my first baseman two off the board. But, yeah, right now I would take Matt Olson. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I think I prefer Freeman's floor over Olson's ceiling, but I definitely see the argument. It's, it is very close. I kind of I wrestled with where I had him, and obviously I think they're pretty close if I only have them two spots apart. Mm-hmm. So now I'm picking for Nate. Yes, you are. I, I, you're getting an absolute steal here. It's my fourth, my fourth overall player. That is Trey Turner, who has turned into a very good hitter. He's not just the steals guy anymore. He hits for power. He hits for average. He's having a little bit of a down year so far, but uh, he, we've seen it in the past. He can be a top three guy on a points per game basis. And I'm taking that ceiling because last year, especially, he looked like a much more well-rounded hitter than we've seen in the past. And that's kind of carried over into this year as well. Yeah, I like Trey Turner a lot as a player. I think he's always, 
and maybe it's not the case for you, Jake, but I've always kind of looked at him as like a boring pick in the first round or the early second round because I don't know. He just doesn't provide the flash of like, you know, a Juan Soto in the top two picks or a Walker Bueller at the end of the first round. Everybody always is craving the ceiling of a player and Trey Turner, similar to Freddie Freeman is kind of like one of those guys where when you're buying him, you know what you're going to get. And that is very valuable. So I like the pick. I like the, uh, I think it fits your philosophy, Jake, of you can't win your fantasy league in your first two to three rounds, but you can certainly lose it. You're not losing any leagues with Trey Turner as your first round pick, you know, so long as he doesn't get hurt. So I do like that pick. I had Trey Turner as my 2.7. So I think I had him maybe nine to 10 spots back. Uh, but maybe again, that that's, that's my own bias of looking at Trey Turner as kind of a, you know, one of the more boring picks. Jake, if I were to redo this draft for you, I would take Jacob deGrom easily at 1.10. Yeah, I that's wasn't who you kept. <laughs> <laughs> that's who you kept. So I'm going to toss it back to you for Eddie's pick at 1.11. All right, so this was kind of a tough one. I really did. I really would want to get Eddie a pitcher here, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to do it. All right, even though he's way down my board, I'm going to pick Walker Bueller here just because I think that Eddie does need a rotation I think he does need kind of that that rock in his rotation. He doesn't have it yet. The offense is okay. I think I can get another hitter on the way back. Well, you can pick a hitter on the way back because you're picking for Eddie next round. But if I was doing this, I'd pick Walker Bueller here. Uh, I think he's this he's he's been rock steady this year. I believe he's gone at least six innings in every start. There are a couple red flags, but not enough for me to uh, be scared away here. So I'm picking Walker Bueller, Walker Bueller. I definitely like that pick. I had Walker Buehler ranked ninth overall, so I actually have him dropping two spots as you know a little bit of a discount for Eddie. I'm going to go a similar route with Nick, but uh, I guess more closely aligned to my pick for Courtney. He went young pitching with Sixto Sanchez, I believe, in the third round and has gotten nothing from him due to the injury and the Marlins not calling him up this year. I'm going to pick another young pitcher for Nick here in the first round instead of, you know, his pick of Sixto later in the third and go with Freddie Peralta, who is SPARP eligible, who is, you know, one of the best deals on draft day, looking back at it. And Brendan, of course, made the savvy move of trading for him before he was, you know, ingrained into the Milwaukee Brewers rotation. But Freddie Peralta has been, I think, the number 10 or 11 overall starting pitcher and, of course, has that relief pitcher eligibility and that is a huge advantage. So I'm actually going to say that if Carlos Rodon is off the board on Courtney's team, no need to fear, Nick. You're going to get Freddie Peralta here at 1.12 and still have that Sparp ace on your team. I like the pick a lot. I had him near the back end of my second round just because he's a little bit volatile. I'm a little bit worried about the innings. Uh, but yeah, he's he's got the high, some of the highest upside out of any pitcher and especially the the spark bonus is just kind of the the icing on the cake. So I definitely don't, I don't hate the pick, especially since the, uh, cause I'm picking for Nick next, especially since the fifth overall player is still on my board. So I'm taking for Nick Jose Ramirez, who is just a rock steady bat and uh, should provide, and he's a pretty good value slipping all the way back to the end, very end of the first round here. Yeah, Jose Ramirez, I had him ranked 11th overall, only one spot 
behind the guy that I'm about to take for Eddie, which is Whit Merrifield, who has not only second base eligibility, but triple outfield eligibility. So pairing up Eddie's Walker Bueller, the, the guy that you just took, with a super utility star hitter on offense, I would really like that start, you know, in hindsight, if I were Eddie getting Walker Bueller and then Whit Merrifield. He's another guy that has jumped up through his performance. I think he was maybe like a third to fourth round guy when we originally drafted, but he has certainly merited through his performance a late first round or an early second round pick. He was my 10th overall ranked player. For this next one, uh, I'm going to be sticking with Garrett Cole. Not that I have a choice, but. What do you think of Garrett Cole lately? I know he's been struggling since they started enforcing those substance checks. I guess we could get a little heat check from you. Would he uh, Uh, still rank this highly if if he were a free man and not kept? Yeah, the only guy that I might have moved. Well, are we including keepers in this discussion? Because I. The only guy that might and for this hypothetical heat check, yeah. Okay, so I, if I was going to drop him from two, the guy that I would move ahead of him is probably you, Darvish. You, Darvish, as the number two overall pitcher, huh? Yeah, if that was if there was one guy, I would move ahead of him, and I think that I, I think I would make that switch at this point because Darvish has just been awesome this year. But yeah, I think I would move Darvish ahead of him at this point and have him starting pitcher three. Fair enough. So dropped slightly, but you know. You're still not disappointed that he's on your team by any means. No, I'm fine with this with this pick here. All right, so that brings me to my second round pick, which is 2.4. And this is a guy that I actually did draft in the 12th round back in March when we drafted. It would be Carlos Correa is the guy that I would take here. Uh you know, I drafted Xander Bogarts in the fourth round of our original draft as my, you know, starting shortstop, presumably. Had to take the upside of Carlos Correa when he dropped to me in the 12th round. And man, has he been an absolute stud. He is even better than he was when we first started playing this keeper league and he was showing, you know, him his skills as being an elite hitter. It He's his plate discipline, he's been walking more than striking out over the past month and a half. His OPS is, I think, like 1125 or something over the last month and a half. Carlos Correa, what he's done has been undeniable. I know I called our trade, uh, our swap of Alex Wood and Carlos Correa, one that aged well a few episodes ago. Uh, I think it's very fair to say that you got the best of me in that one. Carlos Correa would be my pick at 2.4 here. Yeah, this is the best version of Carlos Correa we've ever seen. And, I mean, he's been, like you said, he's been walking more. He's hitting the ball really hard. It's just right in just in time for him to reach free agency, too. Yeah, do you think the uh, – I feel like it's always rumored that Carlos Correa is going to be the guy that, that lands with the Yankees out of all the big shortstops on the free agent market. Do you have a, an inkling as to where he might go? I actually have a hot take that he's going to land with the Tigers. Because the Tigers have money to spend, and they do need some offensive help. A lot of their, a lot of their minor league systems kind of focuses on pitching, and Correa would be a good cornerstone for them to have. And they already have his old manager there, AJ Hinch. I like that a lot. So that's, that's my Tigers that's fan, my bold take. Uh, uh, two point five. You're picking for big money, Mike. Okay, so. 
think I'm going to go a little bit bolder here, and I'm going to go with, since he already does have Matt Olson, I'm not going to take Freddie Freeman, who would be the highest on my board. Instead, I'm going to go with a guy that I really loved preseason, and that is Nick Castellanos, who has broken out one year later than we thought, but still broken out. He was always kind of the stat cast guy that we all loved. He always sort of pointed to a breakout. His stat cast numbers were always really good. And it finally happened for him. He's hitting for power. He's hitting for average. Uh, doesn't really walk a ton, but he also doesn't. He also also doesn't strike out a ton, so it kind of evens out. He's an he's an extra base machine. Uh, he's just one of the best all around hitters in the game, and uh, I think he would be a good addition to Mike's outfield here. Completely agree with the pick. I had Nick Castellanos as my two point four. That's where he was on my board, so he falls one pick later. Uh, to Mike. Yeah. So the next pick for Sam, which is, I guess that was 2. Yeah, it was 2.5. So we're now at 2.6, which is Sam's pick. He, he kept Manny Machado. So we are sticking to that. Jake, I think you might've just spoiled who you're going to pick for Jordan. I am. I'm bringing him home. This is Jordan's boy from last year. And uh, he's coming back to well, it's not the same name as before, but he's coming back to Jordan's team, and that is Freddie Freeman, who I think is an absolute steal here. Uh, he had a little bit of a rough go earlier in the season, but I think he's kind of putting that behind him lately. And I think he, for the second half, since that's what we're drafting for, I think he's going to be just an absolute rock-steady force at the plate. And I think getting him in the mid- middle of the second round is a huge bargain. And I love the start that Jordan's offense is off to here with – two guys who are known for their consistency and are always elite in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman headlining, headlining his offense. Yeah. You got to love that start. If you're Jordan, hypothetically speaking Uh, for Jerwin, I am going to take an, you know, an old veteran that used to be drafted even higher than this, but has kind of fallen out of favor over the past two seasons, but he is back. Jose Altuve, second baseman, for the Houston Astros and for number one contender. But in this segment, he is going to be the second baseman for team positivity. Uh, Jose Altuve has been, I think, the number one second baseman on the season, and he actually missed some time. So if he was playing, you know, full season's workload, I think it wouldn't even be close. But I love me some Jose Altuve. Love this pick for Jerwin at two point. I guess we would be at. Eight. I had Jose Altuve as my 2.01. So actually inside my top 13 overall players. Yeah. Jose Altuve was the top player left on my board too. He was number 12 for me. So I, I do really like the pick. He looks great this year. The, the power especially is something I didn't really see coming or well, I didn't really see coming back, but yeah, he looks like he's kind of back to what he was before. Yeah. I love it. All right, so picking for Courtney now, uh, this is just kind of the, the story here is too good to pass up because I'm just bringing players. I'm reuniting older players with their uh, with the owners that, they, that had, they've been on, the, on those teams for years. I am bringing Bryce Harper back to Courtney's team after like two years away. So the, uh, the prodigal son makes his return. This used to be Courtney's uh, franchise guy for – I think the first three years in her in the league so i'm bringing him home uh talent wise he deserves it too he's he's been great this year 
I think he still has a little bit of room to grow this year too, because the uh, the strikeouts have been been a little up. But yeah, I'm picking Bryce Harper here. I like the pick, and this next pick for for JC, it is certainly a toss up. However, he does have Luis Robert as his center fielder, even though he's hurt, is one of his keepers. So I'm gonna just assume. For these for this segment's purposes, that center field is taken, even though again Luis Robert is hurt. And I'm gonna draft Xander Bogarts or JC. I know that I'm contradicting myself because he does have Bo Bichette. You know what? Actually, I'm gonna call a mid-segment, mid-take audible and say that we are gonna factor in Luis Roberts' injury since Bo Bichette is healthy. I feel like it doesn't make sense to draft a second shortstop, but not a second center fielder. So scratch my Xander Bogarts pick, and I'm going to take the guy that JC didn't want in the first place and draft Mike Trout. I know he's hurt. I know it might be another month before he comes back, but this is the perennial 1.1, the guy that was drafted first overall every single year we've played this league until this past year. I think that this is an absolute steal, even with, you know, you're down three weeks or three and a half weeks until you get him back at 210 Mike Trout is my pick for JC. Yeah, I was going to I was going to get on you if you passed up Trout for JC again. Yeah, well, he's hurt, so I don't think it made sense to draft him in the first round, but it would make even less sense to draft Xander Bogarts with a healthy Bo Bichette and uh a hurt Luis Robert. Yeah, I love the pick. I think that Trout is is very worthy in the second round and Man, JC's hypothetical duo of Juan Soto and Mike Trout, that could be that could have been a, a wicked second half pairing there. Yeah, that would have been lethal. Um, and I think it's worth noting if we were doing this in March, our real draft, and you knew Mike Trout was gonna miss the first month of the season, I still think there's no way he falls to the end of the second round. Oh yeah, no way. I think he's he might even still go in the, like the, maybe the towards the middle or the back of the first round. Right. So I know I kind of spoiled my pick, who I might take for Brendan if he's still there. But who are you picking for Scott? Uh, I'm going with a fun pick here, and that is Shohei Otani. Uh, and I'm doing this because I think in the second half he's going to get outfield eligibility, and that 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 is huge for me because now he's not stuck in my utility. I think that he is a at worst, he's probably a second-round caliber bat, and he's he's been on fire this year. He's almost he's almost tied with uh, Vladimir Guerrero for the league lead in home runs, and he's just been awesome. You can throw him at pitcher if he has maybe like a two-start week or he's a good matchup. There's just so many things you can do with Shohei Otani, and he's just so much fun to own. I think that uh, pairing him, having him here, he could be an anchor for Scott's offense if he chose. Since you picked Gosman for him in the first round. Uh, getting a getting a good anchor here with an elite bat like Otani, I think he is the kind of the highest upside out of anyone left. So I'm picking Otani here. Yeah, and Otani was a guy that I really wanted to put in this, you know, my draft board, this top 24 players. But then I was thinking, like, as a fantasy manager, and I am looking at him as a as a utility bat, right? Because I know that it's possible, and he's on pace to gain outfield eligibility. But it's certainly not a given. Um, he hasn't been the healthiest guy coming into this year, so it might just take one minor injury for them to scale his workload back um, as far as being a hitter or as a pitcher or as both. 
So I was kind of looking at him as a utility back because you're not going to start him as a pitcher in our league format. So I don't want to use my second pick on a guy that I'm stuck with, you know, putting in the utility. I would like to have more flexibility in building out a team. But I certainly agree with the skill, the upside, uh, the performance has merited going this early. But again, if we're looking at a draft as an opportunity to build a team, that's the only reason that I didn't put him in my top two rounds of this midseason redraft. And I really wanted to, but it was just it was a tough decision for me. For Brendan, I am going to take the guy that I almost just took for JC, Xander Bogarts. I look at him kind of in the same light as Trey Turner as somewhat of a boring pick in the first two rounds. But again, you know what you're getting when you buy him. Uh, you get a high floor. You're going to get a player that is going to, you know, maybe if you draft him this early, he won't live up to his draft day price. But I don't think that he's going to return less than a third round value to you. So Xander Bogarts would be my pick for Brendan here. Jake, who are some of the guys that just missed the cut for you? I have four guys on my list. We could even go yeah. one by one if you want. Yeah, I also have four, so that's fine with me. Okay, the first guy on my list that just missed the cut, I had him as my – and it, ironically, it's my bottom four players, not just you know guys that were in the middle of my draft board uh, that somehow didn't get drafted, but it's my bottom four. So I guess – that speaks to, you know, Jake and I think pretty similarly here in terms of the value at which we would take these guys in a midseason redraft. But my first guy is Julio Urias, who uh, has emerged as basically like the fourth Dodgers ace this year. Um, he has long been looked at as a very high ceiling starting pitcher, but they've always treated him with the kitty gloves. This year, outside of a, you know, a few in far between blow up outings, he is pitched like, you know, a high end SP two. So I have him at the back end of my second round here. All right. So the only guy I only had one, I, I ranked 20 guys, but I did have three honorable mentions. One I'll start with the one that I did have in my top 20. And he's the guy that I had at the very end of my, of it. And that is uh, Chris Bryant. I think for me, I, I kind of, I probably rate him higher because I like, multi-position players and uh he's just a very helpful guy to have around uh he plays like five positions now and with, with the level of production that he gives you i think that that's something that where you can pretty much put him anywhere and he's going to be good in that spot and i think that he's going to have a pretty good second half too so i i for me personally with the way that i like to play he's a guy that i would have very high on my board because that's just, I my whole a lot of my offensive strategy is having these guys that you can kind of play plug and play anywhere. So Chris Bryant is a guy is the he was my number twenty, and he was the only he was the only guy that left that uh, was in my rankings that we picked that we did not pick. Okay, the next guy that's on my list that uh, you know I plan to include here had we had a lot of overlap, but he missed the cut. Um, in this live draft was Sandy Alcantara. Uh, I know that this sounds maybe a little premature to move him up to a second round grade, but when you consider guys like, like Zach Plezak was drafted in the second round, just a few picks after him, Steven Strasburg went in the third round. Later in that round, Zach Ranke, uh, Jack Flaherty, Chris Paddock, Ian Anderson. I certainly think that Sandy Alcantara has showed enough this year on a start-by-start -start basis that you know not only... Is he going to give you really, really good ace-like starts? But 
he's going to give you good starts most of the time. So, you know, maybe he doesn't belong in the SP one conversation in terms of like the upside that he offers, but I think that he offers a lot of consistency. So that's why I had him at the back of my second round. As the next guy I had is Aaron Nola. And uh, I know that he has not lived up to what he was, which was a first round pick this year. And he certainly hasn't been that not, not anything close, but I still think he has that upside. I would have been comfortable taking him towards the back end of this uh, back end of the second round here, just as, because we know what he, what he could be. I think that's still, I still still think that's a possibility that he returns to to that form he showed last year. And uh, he does have a track record with him. That's why I would have put him ahead of, of somebody like Sandy Alcantara, where, uh, I need to see him be a little more consistent. I, I have him in one league and it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Well, one thing he does have for Sandy Alcantara is he's going to give you volume pretty much every time. But I do think that Nola gives you that as well. I like Nola's upside a little bit more than Alcantara's. So that's why I, he wasn't in my original rankings, but uh, Nola, I kind of just put here as an honorable mention because he was one of the ones I was considering to, to put in this for this draft. Yeah, Aaron Nola is actually right behind Sandy Alcantara on my list. I had him marked out for 2.11, so not much to add there. Completely agree. He's a barely missed. My last, The last guy on my list uh, that barely missed, I had him as the 24th player, was Jose Barrios. And this is actually not too big of a change from where he went in our actual draft. He was picked 27th overall. Um, certainly nothing exciting to talk about. Jose Barrios has pretty much just continued to be, uh, who he has been over the past few years. Basically he has pitched as advertised, which is a valuable thing. It kind of goes back to Jake's philosophy of you can't win your league in the first few rounds, but you can certainly lose it. I certainly think that there are worse picks that you can make at the back of the second round than Jose Barrios, who is not going to give you, you know, ace production on a start-by-start basis but when you revisit the pitcher rankings at the end of the season and look at everyone's performance Jose Barrios is going to be a guy that's you know in the top 20 every time as long as he doesn't get hurt so he was the last guy on my list I had had two more and they were both hitters one of them was Cody Bellinger who was drafted I believe in the first round Uh, I did not feel comfortable putting him in there but I just wanted to kind of throw him out as an honorable mention because I do think he has the upside to be in there. I just, with the, with all the health problems he's been having and he hasn't played real well this season, I don't think you could justify uh, taking him any earlier than maybe the back end of the second round. And then the last guy is a breakout pick and that's Jesse Winker, who has been an absolute stud this year for Jerwin. And I think that, um, I think he's going to continue that. The only reason I didn't have him in here is because, uh, again, lack of track, lack of track record. And uh, he's had a few minor injuries kind of creep up. I know he's, he's currently dealing with a hip issue. Uh, not None of them have been serious enough to put him on the injured list, but just knowing that they're there, Jesse Winkert also hasn't always been the most durable guy. But, yeah, the upside certainly is maybe early second-round player. But it's uh, – yeah, I, I like him to continue his production – for the rest of the year, it was just a little bit, need a little too many question marks to put him in there with some of these other guys who are more established. And uh, again, he's never been super durable. So I think that his talent wise, he's right there with him. There were just a few more question marks than, than the other guys. Yeah. Jesse Winker was another guy that I considered, you know, putting at the back of this 
you know, rankings list that I made, but you know, I certainly think he is worthy of going in the first three rounds. I'm just not there yet personally to, to where it, it was basically, I wanted to put him on my list. And then what stopped me from actually typing his name out was I asked myself, Nate, would you in any world take Jesse Winker with your second pick, you know, of your, of, of your personal draft? And I couldn't find a way to say yes. Not that Jesse Winker has not been super elite this year. He has, but I just could not personally take Jesse Winker and pass up some of the, the other elite talent on the board, you know, in this, in the first two rounds. So that's, that's what it came down to for me, but he's certainly earned, you know, a, a late second or an early third round grade through his performance this year. Jake to debrief this segment, I actually want to do a couple things. First, I want to, uh, you know, read off of the the keepers that each team was entering the season with, and then kind of do like a quick little comparison of who they actually took in the first two rounds versus who we redrafted for them in this segment. Uh, but first, before I do that, I wanted to, I guess, since I have it open, just mention a few of the guys who didn't make the cut, who actually were drafted in the first two rounds of our draft and. Obviously, it's because either they got hurt or they were fallers, something along those lines. But those guys that were drafted in the first two rounds that didn't make either the actual draft or our honorable mentions portion were Christian Yelich, Francisco Lindor, DJ LeMahieu, Nolan Arenado, who, by the way, he barely missed the cut for me, too. I think he would have been in like the next five picks for me. Alex Bregman, he, of course, got hurt. Kevin Biggio. JT Realmuto and Zach Plezak, who also got hurt. So most of those guys, actually all of them, were second round picks. So every single one of our first round picks made it into this segment in one way or another. So I guess that's good. Nobody lost the league with their first round picks. But there were a lot of names from the second round that did not make it into this midseason redraft, Jake. Yeah, I noticed that too when we were when I was making my rankings that uh, a lot of the first rounders were in there, but we we had to leave out some of the second rounders. Yeah, for sure. So what I'm going to do is I will go team by team. I'm going to read their keepers, and then I'm going to tell you who they took with their first two picks. Jake is going to tell you who we took with this redraft, and I don't think it's fair to compare you like which pair would you rather have because we're obviously drafting with hindsight, but I think it'll just be interesting for you guys to hear. You good with that, Jake? Yeah, that's fine. Cool. So starting with Brendan, he entered the season with Paul Goldschmidt, Whit Merrifield, who I actually, I just realized that's a complete oversight because I included him as part of this draft segment. We're just going to ignore that blunder um, and pretend that he wasn't kept, I guess, because I don't know who else I would take or Eddie. Um, but he also had Byron Buxton, Aaron Judge, and Kyle Hendricks coming into the year, who he drafted with his actual first two picks were Juan Soto and Zach Plezak, and who we redrafted for them for him was Jake. It was Max Scherzer and Xander Bogarts. Max Scherzer and Xander Bogarts. I think that that feels like a, a more Brendan roster than Soto. Oh, yeah, for Zach. sure. Any, any roster with Scherzer. Scherzer. Yeah, exactly. Max Scherzer is Brendan's guy. Uh so the second team, Scott, he entered the year with Jose Abreu, Luke Voigt, and Shane Bieber, and auto draft selected for Scott, Mookie Betts, 
and JT Real Muto. And instead, we picked for him. Kevin Gosman and Shohei Otani. Like those pair. I like that pairing a lot. Uh, JC entered the season with Salvador Perez, Bo Bichette, Luis Robert, Trevor Bauer, Hyunjin Ryu, and Blake Snell. And in the actual draft, he took Freddie Freeman and then Kevin Biggio. This time we took Juan Soto and Mike Trout. I think that this one is, looks a little better. Yeah, this one looks a little bit better. That's, I feel like that's almost, I mean, I know Mike Trout is hurt, but that's got to be like. That's a dream start is what yeah, that is. That, yeah, that might be my favorite pairing from this redraft. That's a crazy. I think it, I, for me, I think it is too. Yeah, so Juan Soto, Mike Trout for JC this time around. And then Courtney entered the season with Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna Jr., EU Darvish, Zach Wheeler, Joe Musgrove, and Josh Hader. In real in our real draft, she took Mike Trout and then Alex Bregman. Certainly not a bad start if Bregman never got hurt, but this time we took for her. Carlos Rodon and Bryce Harper. Gotta like that start. I feel like that feels like a more Courtney roster, especially with Harper. You bring him, you bring in the band back together for her. Entering the season, Jerwin had Gavin Lux, Dansby Swanson, Kyle Tucker, Lucas Giolito, Corbin Burns, and Noah Syndergaard. In real life and in our redraft version, he took Lucas Giolito with his first pick because it was a first-round keeper. Uh, in real life, in his second pick, he took Nolan Arenado, but we took for him. Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve. So shift in priorities from third base to second base there for Jerwin. Jordan's keepers entering the year were Nick Madrigal, Glaber Torres, Alex Kirilov, Tyler Glasnow, Lance McCullers Jr. And the two guys that he took were Jose Ramirez and DJ LeMahieu. But this time we took for him. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. I think this is, I think this is my second favorite start. It's kind of like the, uh, the light version of what we took for JC. Yeah, I like it a lot. And I almost want to say it's as close to equal as you can get with that start from JC this time around, just because Mike Trout is obviously going to be missing about another month. Uh, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, full workloads for them, certainly rivals, uh, you know, work, a full workload and a three quarters workload from Mike Trout and then Juan Soto, his, his draft mates. For Sam, he came into the year with Manny Machado, Tim Anderson, Ryan Mountcastle, Rafael Devers, Aaron Savale, and Sonny Gray. In real life, he drafted Aaron Nola, and then, again, he kept Manny Machado with his second-round pick, so that's going to be the same in both drafts. But this time, with his first-round pick, we took for him. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, so this is pretty much a straight upgrade. Yeah, straight upgrade. Not, well, if you're going based off of the performances so far this year, definitely an upgrade if you're talking about you know you're asking me hey nate who would you rather have in the second half i would certainly say kershaw but it's not like i don't i wouldn't see a huge drop off from kershaw to nola if we're just talking about what they're going to do over the next two and a half months so not too different from what how it actually went for mike he entered the year with cabrian hayes fernando tatis jr alex verdugo framil reyes max freed and Brandon Woodruff, and then he drafted Walker Bueller in the first round and Trey Turner in the second round. That's a great start um, back in our March draft, but this time we took for him. Matt Olson and Nick Castellanos. To be honest, Jake, that 
real life start is almost as good as this redraft start. I mean, I guess I was, it probably depends on your preference. I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. So great, great job drafting in the first two rounds by big money, Mike back in March, my team, I entered the season with Andrew Vaughn, Jared Kalanick, Lance Lynn, Kenta Maeda, Chris Sale, and Luis Severino. And I took Max Scherzer and then Clayton Kershaw with my first two picks. This time around, we took Trey Turner and Carlos Correa. So it went complete opposite. We went pocket aces in real life, but then we went pocket hitting studs in this redraft version. Yeah, I prefer your real life draft. Yeah, just because pitching is scarce. It's uh, definitely, you know, if the if both the hitter and the pitcher is performing, usually you want the pitcher just because of scarcity. Jake, your real-life draft and your midseason draft are no different because of keepers, but you came into the year with keepers of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Corey Seager, Jacob deGrom, Garrett Cole, Zach Gallen, Jack Flaherty, and, of course, deGrom and Cole were both first and second-round keepers, so nothing different there. For Eddie, he entered the season with Will Smith, Pete Alonzo, Alec Bohm, Giancarlo Stanton, and Jose Arquiti. In real life, he took Cody Bellinger and then Francisco Lindor, but this time we gave him, I know we gave him Whit Merrifield. That was my bad. I'll just say instead, for the purposes of analyzing, let's say instead he gets Julio Urias. So we'll say, you know, he took Bellinger and then Lindor. This time he took Julio Urias and Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller. So pocket aces for the Dodgers. Uh, I like that start if I'm Eddie in terms of uh, if we had a hypothetical do over. Yeah, and I do la- too. Yeah, last but not least, we have Nick who entered the year with Yasmani Grandal, Wonder Franco. I should, I should really get into the habit of saying Franco. I know that's how it's pronounced, but I've always said Wonder Franco. I'll start saying. Wander Franco, Marcelo Zuna, gross, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and Luis Castillo. In real life, he drafted Bryce Harper and then Christian Yelich, who I feel like walking out of draft day, I feel like that might have been the one that everybody looked at and thought that is a great one-two start. But obviously, Yelich has been a big disappointment this year. Uh, instead, in this midseason redraft, we gave him Freddy Peralta, Jose Ramirez. Yeah, so a very interesting start, one that you know none of us would have predicted back when we were doing our draft in March. But hope you guys enjoyed that segment. I know there was some uh, brain farts when I was drafting for JC and almost took Xander Bogarts for him, even though he has Bo Bichette. Accidentally drafted Whit Merrifield for Eddie, even though he was kept by Brendan. So apologize for that, but I think, I th- think it was a fun segment nonetheless. Jake, let's transition to more familiar content when you give us your standout player of the week. All right. So my standout player of the week is Luis Castillo, who, who only had one start, but it was seven innings pitched, gave up six hits, two walks and six, hit got six strikeouts and he got the win. And uh, he was, he was looking like the biggest early round pitcher bust since 2016, Matt Harvey for the large, a large part of the season, but the results have been much better lately. Uh, the changeup, which is his big whiff pitch, it hasn't been quite back, so he's not quite back to what he was before. Uh, but it's all, it's definitely on the right track. It's much better than what it was before. Um, yeah, I think that he's he's kind of back on the right. He's not all the way back yet, but he's headed in the right direction. And that can definitely be a very valuable player going forward because if we remember, uh, Luis Castillo has been considered an ace for a couple seasons now. 
Yes, he has. And it is a welcome sight to see him starting to round into form because I certainly need uh, some pitching depth, especially if one more of my guys goes down. So Luis Castillo is Jake's standout player of the week. Let's get into our matchup preview, looking ahead to week 13. Best matchup. What do you have, Jake? I know there's a, a few good ones to pick from this week. Yeah, so I decided I wanted to talk about this one. This is uh, Eddie versus Nick, and I think this is a very interesting matchup because this is our two expansion teams. Now suddenly they're both in playoff contention, and uh, I don't think that even though Nick has a couple games up, I don't think that he's totally out of the woods yet. Uh, I think there is a chance that he can slip back. We have a couple good teams that are right behind him, but I really like the story of Eddie coming back just pretty much it's like that uh, that gif of uh, Undertaker where he sits straight up. That's how I kind of view Eddie's team at this point where we all just left him for dead, and he's he's just kind of sat straight back up. He's full of energy. He's, he's got a uh, he's just he just came off with a six and zero run, and now he's looking to continue it. He's right on the cusp of playoff contention. But yeah, I think this will be a close one. Uh, these teams have scored pretty close to each other the last couple of weeks, and. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have much more to add. I'm excited to see where this goes, and I, ha- I honestly do hope that both of these teams make the playoffs. Jake, I picked Nick versus Eddie because I was thinking, I was thinking one, I don't want to be obvious and pick one of the ones that is, you know, would easily be considered a good matchup. But two, I thought, oh, Jake won't pick this one. This is kind of like out of the three, what I consider to be really good matchups this week, this was like the under the radar, really good matchup. So I I chose Pine Run Market versus Gone Forever myself. I will share my thoughts on that, but then I'll briefly mention my two honorable mentions for this best matchup pick. I decided to go with what I thought was the most fun matchup this week, which also has some relatively high stakes, as you mentioned, Jake, for the two guys participating First, I wanted to point out that this looks like it's going to shape up to be a very high-volume matchup with Nick getting nine total starts out of his pitchers while Eddie will have 10 total starts from his pitching staff. Eddie is looking to continue a very hot streak in which he's gone undefeated in the past three weeks, while Nick is looking to continue to bounce back, uh, the bounce back that he started last week against Brendan after going three and five the previous four weeks. It's worth noting also that this matchup directly impacts both the wild card race and the East Division standings as Eddie is trying to cement his playoff spot while Nick is trying to keep a healthy lead over Jerwin for third place in the East Division. If Eddie was able to beat Nick and Jerry was able to top Courtney, suddenly the race in the, the East looks a lot more interesting as Nick would presumably have less than a two-week lead on Jerwin in the East Division. The two matchups that I, I guess, will give honorable mention credit to are Jerwin versus Courtney. I think that that one is going to be sneaky good. Uh, Courtney is still a very good team, but she just suffered a loss to your team last week, Jake. And Jerwin's team has, you know, relatively consistently been putting up like 280 over the past few weeks on and off. So I think he has the stuff to beat Courtney. And then, of course, our matchup, Jake, not really going to speak to it, but I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I, I, we got to start like consulting beforehand, just make sure we don't have the be- the same matchups for this every week, because that's what it feels like. <laughs> and, we, and we say that every week that we should start consulting each other beforehand. We should, and we're probably not going to for the next time we're on together. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we will for the rest of the season. Perfect. Keep the streak going, Jake. What's your thing to watch for this week? All right, so my thing to watch for is Wander Franco and. Uh, 
I think that even though he's been struggling to make contact so far, well, not to make contact, but for those balls to fall, I think that he's, I think he, he, he looks better than some of the other rookies have. He doesn't really look overmatched. I think he had one game where he had three strikeouts, but other than that, I think he has three total strikeouts across his other, across all other games. Uh, and he's showing excellent patience so far. He's walking, he's walking a ton. Uh, there's a, there's a, there are a couple concerns. Uh, there's a high ground ball rate. The exit velocity isn't quite where you want. He's had a couple of really hard hit balls, but overall he has not hit the ball super hard. Uh, and he's only hitting 136 right now. Um, overall, I think that he's, again, he doesn't look totally overmatched, which is a big deal considering how poorly a lot of prospects have, have been doing. And I think that now that he's had a week where he's seen major league pitching, uh, he's had a chance to adjust to some uh, the higher velocities that he might not have seen in the minors. I think I saw a stat where the average fastball velocity that Franco saw in the minors was only 91 miles an hour, which is quite a bit lower than what the MLB average is. So now that he's had a week to adjust to the, the velocities and kind of the, the better pitchers that he's seen, uh, I'm excited to see how he does this week. And I think this will be a big week for him uh, just in terms of see how he does, how he adjusts. Wonder Franco is Jake's thing to watch for this week. Mine was, again, spoiled by the moves of today, but I still think it's a relevant discussion because, as I alluded to earlier, Brendan got kind of a mix of players that can perform but also have some keeper value. So my thing to watch for was, can still be, Brendan will make a telling move this week. I've never known Brendan to sell until he is completely out of options, which I do not think he is at this point. I can't see him trading Freddie Peralta because he offers both win now and keeper upside, but I can see him letting go of pretty much any other piece to continue his tradition of going for it every year and looking to compete with the top teams despite facing tough odds. I wrote that before he traded Juan Soto today, uh, and it's clear that he was, again, ready to let go of pretty much any piece because he traded his best player, his best redraft player. That seems to suggest that I think Brendan will make a buying move this week um, on top of the move that he already made today, which again, is a, it's a little murky for me. I know it's, it's probably a buyer's move, but it's one that kind of keeps the door open for him to sell and get out of it if he decides that his team is not performing up to standards. I think Brendan is ultimately going to gauge the market and decide to put his foot on the selling pedal if he faces too much difficulty as a buyer. That is, I think this is the week that we will look back on the season and say, Nate was right about saying Brendan would miss playoffs for the first time in league history, or you know, how could Nate ever doubt Brendan, who is the best there is at punching upward? So that is my thing to watch for, is the continued moves of Brendan this week. I was going to say that he's just going to make at least one move, but he did that today after I wrote this prep. Matchup predictions. Jake, our matchup records improved uh, by six last week with no losses. I am now 42 and 18 on the year. You were 35 and 19 after we both went six and zero last week. There were some picks that were tough this week as opposed to last week where I felt really confident in all of our picks. Uh, the first matchup that we have is the one between you and I, number one contender versus Jake's fantasy baseball team. I think this is going to be a close one. I'm curious to hear which way you have this going. I think this will be a close one, but I'm I'm looking at my offense and it's just blah. 
Like I got Fletcher in there, Toro in there, Carlson. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not feeling that one. I'm, I'm picking you for this matchup. Well, I guess it's a good thing that we're not tying here because even though I think it's going to be really close, I actually chose my team in this matchup. My team has been really hot over the past few weeks, especially my offense. And I don't want to give away too much here, but part of my weekly lineup setting routine is to look at what my guys have done lately. And I've been finding a lot of success in riding with the guys who have done a lot lately. So I think I'm going to keep the ball rolling here, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if this matchup that I think is going to be close ends up, you know, turning out the other way with you, with you coming out on top. So I, we both pick my team to win this one. Our second matchup, which was both of our best matchups of the week is Pine Run Market versus Gone Forever. I have the upset this week. I have Eddie walking away as the winner here. Who do you have winning? I also have Eddie winning here. I, I, I want him to keep it rolling so bad. I want him to just keep it rolling right into the playoffs. And then the first round, I want him to win unless he plays me. (laughs) He's going toe for toe with Nick in terms of volume this week. Like I said, Nick has nine starts. Eddie has 10. So he is not backing down in this matchup. I think he'll have enough to pull it off. Third matchup is the matchup between the, the two Humes guys, Big Money Mike versus Team No Name, Mike versus Scott. I think this one's a pretty easy one to pick from. Who did you have winning? I'm picking Mike here. As am I. The next matchup is relatively similar. It's one one between one of our top teams and a seller. It is Sam, weak pullout hitter versus JC, whose name is JC, hashtag $50 by 2023. And we're going to have to invite him back on the podcast here so he can make his argument for increasing the buy-in to $50 by 2023. I picked JC to win this matchup pretty comfortably. What did you have? I also picked JC to win this one. All right. That brings us to our next matchup, which was one of my dark horse picks for best of the week. It is team positivity, Jerwin versus team C Deemer, Courtney. Who do you have winning this one? Uh, this was, this was pretty close to a pick em for me, but I'm going to pick the upset and say Jerwin pulls this one off. Love the positive vibes. I know Jerwin loves the positive vibes. And I am here for them too. I'm picking the upset in this one. Team Positivity is also my pick for winner of this matchup. And then our last one, this is kind of an underwhelming matchup compared to the rest it feels. It is Jordan Pretty Petite Princesses versus the Soto Shuffle, who I guess probably has to rebrand now. Uh, he, Jordan he did rebrand. Brandon. He did. Okay, I didn't is, see it. He is now the Sotoless Shuffle. The Soto List Shuffle. Okay, you should have told me that when I was given the Wild Cars Race update back at the beginning of the episode. I, to be honest, I didn't even notice. All right. Well, the Soto List Shuffle versus Pretty Petite Princesses. Who do you have winning this one? I'm going to pick Brendan in this one to kind of turn it around. I don't really have a whole lot of confidence in Jordan's new squad here. I would agree. So I think... We actually have all of the same picks again. So you are not doing a big oof for me. I was going to say, you're not doing yourself any favors in terms of trying to catch me in this matchup prediction. You make me go first on all these picks. I don't have a choice. I want, you know, next time we pick head to head, I'm going second. (laughs) Listen, I went first. I think, wait, no, I made you go first in our matchup. I went first with Eddie's matchup. I alluded who my pick was in Scott versus Mike. 
I went first for JC versus Sam. So I think I basically went first three times. It just ha just so happened to be that two of them were very easy picks. I made okay, you pick the fair. tough ones first. See, <laughs> so I think I you're playing defense. You don't even have your no, picks. No, listen, listen. I prep these on Sunday night. Every Sunday night, I do the entire episode prep. I don't leave anything for right before we record. I promise. All right. I'll have to ask, uh, I'll have to ask Allie if that's true. I'll have to get her. She made her first appearance on last week's episode. She but, that, that wasn't you? <laughs> yeah, no, I had to clear my throat. It's our secret. Around the league portion of the podcast, Jake, hit us with your league history fact of the week. All right, so in week 13 of 2017, which was the first year we ever – we well, not the first year we ever played. First year we had our keeper league. Uh, we had both the highest and lowest scoring matchups of that year. The highest was Brendan versus Sam, which totaled 772.6 points. And the lowest was Jerwin versus Brian. That totaled a measly 305.7 points. That's incredible. I bet you the loser of that matchup between Brendan and Sam uh, was not happy that they weren't matched up between or w with one of the scorers in the low-scoring matchup. Especially since we didn't have the top half also gets a win then. So they were, that would just be kind of a tough luck loss there. Right. That is why I advocated for the last few years for this league median. Love that addition to our league. Next segment, we have one of your favorites, Jordy the General Sportsbook. Welcome to week eight of our weekly sportsbook segment. Take it away, Jordan. What's up, everyone? Another week of the sportsbook here. Uh, before we get into things, I just want to give a quick congratulations to Jerwin. Um, team positivity, the positive vibes continued to roll last week as Jerwin, with his locks, went 3-0. Um, besides whenever I won 5-0, which, as you all know, was a couple weeks ago, Jerwin is the first person to ever have a perfect week in the sportsbook as a participant. So congratulations, Jerwin. Uh, was was really great to see and i'm excited for him to continue to battle back in our standings all right i'm gonna preview two games for you the first one is mike minus 54 against scott total 486 points mike is 0 and 2 all time as a favorite greater than 45 points and here for back-to-back -back weeks we have another pretty big spread versus a rebuilding team um i covered against him last week can scott i um i like i like mike here um i like mike here a lot i think that the addition of juan soto is really going to help him and i think that uh the floor of his team is really getting higher with him creating a very good offense next i'm going to look at uh, my matchup with brendan i am minus four against brendan total 430 points as i just talked about earlier with mike's matchup brendan just make, made a big time deal getting a ton of starting pitching depth um, I think that he's finally going to break out of his slump here and uh, cover as an underdog uh, against me. I'm going to get into the locks real quick. I am 36 and 19. Again, Jerwin went 3-0 and last week. Uh, so I'm officially adopting Jerwin as my uh, picker. So here's what Jerwin and I have going into this week. Uh, favorite, Nate minus 13 against Jake. It's not that I love love Nate here, but I really just don't like Jake in this situation. Um, after having DeGrom and Cole both go twice last week, I think that Jake's going to take a little bit of a step back here. So I think that Nate's going to come away with this matchup and win by more than 13 points. Underdog, 
Courtney plus five against Team Positivity. Um, the positive vibes are back, as we all know. Um, Courtney had a tough loss to Jake, um, but in every single circumstance, if Courtney gets positive points, you take her as she is one of the best in the league at covering as an underdog, hitting 80% of the time she's an underdog. Over Justin and Sam's matchup, over 508 points. Um, since week seven, Justin has alternated good and bad weeks compared to the median, um, and he finished below the median last week. So you can do the math on this one. We're expecting a big uh, big week from Justin here that's going to carry this matchup to the over. Under Nick and Eddie, 530 points. Um, this is the highest scoring matchup of the, uh, of the week here. And fun fact, since, uh, since week two, the highest scoring matchup has only hit the over four times. So I'm looking at Eddie, the highest projected uh, matchup has only hit the over four times. So I'm looking at Nick and Eddie here. And while both of them are kind of on the up and up, especially Eddie, I think that uh, not necessarily a step back, but I think that they're not going to hit these projections here. I learned my lesson last week. I picked the over um, for the median. And it lost. It hit under, as it's done all year. And so we're going to go back to that, 258.5 points. I think that's pretty high. Um, it's, there were a lot of tight matchups this week, so I'm excited to see how this goes. But I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring than we were expecting um, in the past. So hopefully uh, I'm going to come back with a 5-0 record next week. Um, it's going to be a good one. I'm excited for a lot of these matchups. Uh, back to you guys. That was Jordy the General's weekly sports book. Thank you, Jordan. Let's close out this episode, Jake, with some news and notes. Byron Buxton suffered a broken left hand when hit by a pitch on Tuesday. Just three days after his return, he went back on the injured list with that broken hand. I know this is a freak injury that doesn't have much to do with his durability, but do you have any confidence, Jake, in Byron Buxton ever eclipsing 150 games in a single season? Nope. All right, that's that. If you were Brendan, would you use him as a cornerstone to keep and build around, or would you try to trade him right now after his hot start as a keeper, even though obviously his value has taken a little bit of a hit with the injury? I would not trade him right now, but I think that I don't know that you can consider him a cornerstone. He, he's kept late enough that he could be injured for a large part of the year, and he's probably still going to return value, but if it was me personally, I would look, I would wait for him to get healthy and then maybe try to flip him. There you go. Advice straight from the mouth of babes. Next one. Uh, this one's just awful. Mike Soroka retore his Achilles. Uh, according to the Braves this past Thursday, get this Jake, while walking to the clubhouse at the home ballpark, Mike Soroka felt a pop in his right Achilles and uh, MRI revealed that he retore that tendon, same one that he, he tore on the mound last year trying to cover first base. Jesse Morse, who is a well-followed medical doctor among the fantasy community, tweeted the following in response to the news, quote, I was really afraid of this when I heard he was having issues with what was likely poor suture healing. Time to undergo surgery number two and then, you know, quote unquote, throw the kitchen sink at it, which Jesse Morse characterized as regenerative medical injections to this Achilles. So I ask you, Jake, do you have confidence that Mike Soroka will ever be fantasy relevant again? That seems harsh because he's a very young kid. I think he's only 23, 
but two torn Achilles in a row, the same one. I, I feel like that's got to do some damage. Well, you're not like, you're not alone in thinking that because when I I, re- when I originally showed Courtney this, her her first reaction was, uh, "There's a chance he might never be able to play again," because that's the first time it must have meant that maybe he rushed back too quickly, especially since he was just walking when he tore it again. I mean, that's that's really not good. That's I, I think I also heard, and I, I will say she was not alone in that sentiment. I actually read a couple places where said where it said his career might be in jeopardy because of that Achilles. But uh, yeah, it's that's a really tough situation for him. That's going to be really tough to come back from, especially since what they did the first time didn't seem like it worked. And I, I also heard somewhere else that they, didn't his then they have to redo some something because his body rejected the stitches and there were some complications with that. I had not heard that, but I would not be surprised because this story is crazy at this point. And I specifically framed the question, you know, as being fantasy relevant because there's that's a whole different hurdle to clear. It's one thing to come back and pitch at the major league level. It's a whole different thing to to have fantasy relevance. And I think. You know, it seems like a low bar for us as fantasy baseball players. Like, could Mike Soroka ever turn into a, at least a streamer starting pitcher again? I don't even know that that's a given, given this injury. Yeah, that's it's a really, it's a really tough injury, and the fact that it just like he he's not even back yet, and it's already already tore it again. It's, I think that he will because in theory he would have a lot of, a lot of career left he is really young he's only 23 but man that is I I don't say that with 100% confidence for sure yeah that's that's a shame for Mike Sorokas because he is really really young so there's a lot of time uh, but you hate to see a kid's career derailed like that so so early the last piece of news this is kind of a familiar bit in this segment of the podcast the Padres have placed Denelson Lamette on the 10-day IL with a right fo- right forearm inflammation. Once again, I ask you, Jake, is Denelson Lamette toast? Just get the surgery already and get it over with. My goodness. I agree. Second question I have for you, is he worth rostering anymore in our fantasy league? I, I don't think so, unless you want to use him as kind of like all he's going to be is a mid, mid or like a middle reliever guy at this point, right? Like he's you can't build them up to throw a lot of volume. And then you have these, these stints where his velocity is real low. And it's just, I don't think he's worth rostering anymore. Honestly, the upside, I I don't think the upside is attainable, I guess is what, what I'm kind of getting at. Yeah, I agree. And I, I asked because I think I would personally drop him if he was on my team. And it's a shame because he was literally a top 10 pitcher in baseball last year in the 2020 season. So it's, a shame to see that you're dropping him now but this is a totally different topic and for totally different reasons but Marcel Ozuna was like a top 20 hitter in baseball last year and of course I've already dropped him totally different situation because I don't think that there's any path to a return this year for Ozuna or even uh, maybe ever yeah Ozuna but, might never play again right uh but Again, you're just seeing from the from the brief 2020 season, some elite players suddenly not even finding themselves rosterable in fantasy anymore. It just kind of goes to show how weird of a year 2020 was. But Jake, that is a wrap for at least two weeks 
on episodes that you and I will be on together. I am going to be on vacation out of town for the next two weeks. So I won't be at my or near my computer to be able to record. So the next two episodes, it's up to you whether you want to delegate them out, whether you want to bring some guests on. I will look forward to listening to that um, as a consumer on the other side of the podcast. Anything to to share with the audience before we jump off as a duo for two weeks? Yeah, I'll put a text out and we'll I'll figure something out. I might want to do maybe I'll host one and then try to delegate another one because it, it is nice to get kind of fresh voices on here where. Where you don't have to listen to to Nate and I every week, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send out a text. We'll figure something out for. But there will be a podcast the next two weeks. I might. I'll definitely be on one of them. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know yet if I'll do both. But yeah, there no 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 worries that there won't be anything. We'll definitely have something. Sounds good. I am looking forward to it. As always, guys, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Hope it's uh, as fun and enjoyable for you guys as it is for us. But for Jake Deemer, I am Nate Endries, and we will catch you. uh, I guess the two of us will catch you in about three weeks. Yert.